0: Well, to make church history a little more interesting, what I want to try to do is from here forward, we're going to go over biographies. We're going to learn about the people. It's not just about, well, you know, this movement, you know, began in that century and ended in that century. and It's really not about the politics. It's not about the movements. It's not about the, the cathedrals. It's about individuals. It's about people moved by the Spirit of God. It's about people who had a relationship with God and changed their world. We are responsible for our generation. You are a light. You are the city on a hill. You cannot hide your light under a lamp. You should either be the point of the spear or you should be the back of the spear, but you are in the battle. You're one of them. And you know, there are people who just like to be right there at the point of the spear. There are people who are just (laughs) evangelists and and they just want to be the person who tells them how it goes. And then there are other people who kind of like to be one back from that person. Go on, go on, go on, go on. That's right, that's right. What she says is right. And then there are people who want to be one back from that saying, help them, Lord, help them, Lord. Oh, God, help them, help them, Lord. And then there are people who want to be one back from that saying, well, giving and, and supporting and things like that. And you know what? Over here is a good spot, and over here is a good spot. And, and I'll set out the tracks and things like that. But we're all part of the same thing. We're all on the same team. You may like to be the point of the spear, but somewhere along this beard, you're one of them. You might be at the back of the handle. You might be the decoration on the back of the handle, but you are in the battle. So we're going to church history biographies. One of the first people we're going to talk about is St. Patrick. St. Patrick was a missionary to Ireland. The Roman Empire got up into England, but it actually did not cross the sea over into Ireland. And so the Irish were some rough bunch of people. I mean, they are you know, heads on stakes and stuff like that, and they, they're just a bunch of nasty tribes. And Patrick was the first Christian missionary to Ireland. The guy was sent over there before and just got scared out of his wits and came back. And St. Patrick says, I'll go. Here am I, Lord, send me. I'm just going to give a brief overview of kind of where, where we're going to go, and uh, then we'll talk a little bit more in depth about the first four. Patrick, St. Augustine of Hippo, he was a bishop in North Africa saint thomas aquinas he was a great scholar and his writings really became some of the foundational writings of the catholic church and then saint francis of assisi saint francis of assisi his life reads like jesus you know you think that there were a lot of miracles in jesus life saint francis of assisi actually records more his life is just one set of miracles after another and it's fun and it's sort of refreshing it's a little bit kind of confusing to read about the tremendous miracles that take place in these men's lives. You know, they have kind of different practices than we have today, and yet tremendous results. Tremendous results. And what you'll also see from most of these biographies is the tremendous humility of these incredibly powerful people who, in just tremendous humility, would go in front of kings, go in front of uh, headhunters and things like that who would be ready to kill them but because of their piety and their humility they just couldn't and then they would become converted through just the tremendous humility and simple faith of the people who of these missionaries that we're going to talk about kind of runs in the face of this kind of bold protestant televangelist kind of christianity that's that's common in america today it kind of brings us back to more of the teachings of Jesus and helps provide a little bit of balance to prosperity, which is definitely part of our inheritance, to authority, which is definitely part of our inheritance. But at the same time, while we have authority, while we have prosperity, here are these guys getting tremendous results with humility, with piety, with just tremendous prayer and just this sort of deep, simple, abiding faith. So it's interesting to get the whole picture here. I believe in prosperity. I am 100% for prosperity. But it's really fun to just kind of read these guys who just, their doctrine in those days was a deep poverty. And you just couldn't get it done unless you had renounced everything and you were tremendously poor. And I think that there needs to be some balance to that, that, that this sort of uh, great embracing of poverty, I think, helped in a sense in that it, it created a simplicity and a purity of devotion at the same time it, it takes money to get things done all the time while they're embracing poverty they are also praying for their needs to be met for food for so that they could get to the next place And each time God would provide so God is providing all the way through whether you're believing for a jet airplane or whether you're just believing for the next meal God is the provider all the way through and God will meet you where you're at and God will meet your faith so We'll look at Augustine of Hippo, St. Thomas Aquinas, St. Francis of Assisi. Just going forward, I just want you to be familiar with some of these names. St. Ignatius Loyola, SI. Everybody know SI High School in San Francisco? Ignatius Loyola is just a fascinating guy. He gets wounded in battle. He's he's from Spain. Then he founds the Jesuit order, and St. Francis Xavier is is his first disciple in in this order. And St. Francis Xavier gets a uh, charter to go to Asia, And St. Francis Xavier literally baptized and was responsible for the conversion of something like a million people, back in the days when a million people was most of the nation. So Xavier is just an amazing guy. He goes to India and Madagascar and Japan and China, sails around in that direction. Xavier's an amazing guy, just tremendous missionary. And the Jesuits get off to a great start as Catholic missionaries and, and later on become kind of militarized and, and end up becoming kind of bad guys just that they take it a little bit too far it's kind of like it becomes a little too politicized the Jesuits become kind of the strike force for the Pope and and so there's it's interesting when you read about say say Francis the Catholic biography is is miles long because he was such a peaceful humble guy and you know everybody loves him but Loyola who founds the Jesuits tremendous guy but the Jesuit order gets a little bit too gung-ho, you know, accused of some things. And so his biography is only about this big of the Catholic Encyclopedia. <laughs> it's kind of funny. But the Jesuits are the ones that founded the California Missions. So they're the ones that, that came around. And the El Camino Real, the Highway of the King, St. Ignatius Loyola and the Jesuits are the guys who started this. Martin Luther, we, we know something about him. John Calvin was a, a contemporary of, of Luther's. Uh, he's a Frenchman and just a brilliant, brilliant man but also because they're writing so much in opposition to the Catholic Church, because they're, they're setting themselves apart from the Catholic Church, instead of just sort of staying in the center, they're having to pull against the Catholic tradition, and they get w- w- a little too off to the side. Calvin's writings include uh, a statement. Calvinism includes a tremendous determinism, that God is in charge of everything, and that nothing happens without the foreknowledge and foreordination of God. Everything happens because of God. So if a tornado takes out your house, that was God. If the drunk driver crosses the center median and takes out the family, that was God in Calvin's theology. That, I I believe, is is too strong. Good God, bad devil, they don't swap jobs. That's good theology, right? Calvin has just one God over everything. The devil having just absolutely nothing to do with anything. And so you kind of have this good and bad God. You end up, if you're a Calvinist preacher and you're preaching a funeral and God's in charge of everything, you become a great excuse maker for God. You see, I think God just needed another angel in heaven. He just plucked a flower from the earth and brought it up there to his great bouquet in heaven. And tough spot. You don't want to be a Calvinist preacher because you end up having to make excuses for the devil because, because that's being ascribed to God. Good God, bad devil, they don't swap jobs. John Calvin is responsible for some of that mistake. John Wycliffe was the Englishman who translated the Bible into the common language. Got killed for it. John Wesley and John Whitfield were the founders of the modern-day Methodist movement and separated from the Church of England. Fascinating men. They traveled back and forth from England England to America and England to America and England to America and preached revivals in both places. And the American Revolution Declaration of Independence and, and the founders of our country are largely Christian because of this tremendous influence of Wesleyan Whitfield. D.L. Moody, great evangelist uh, in America in the, in the 1800s. Mother Etter was a uh, revivalist in the late 1800s, speaking in tongues, getting people healed in the late 1800s. What's interesting about that is that we say that tongues broke out in Azusa Street in about 1900. And, but Mother Eder was rocking and rolling 20 years before that. Okay. Charles Parham was the guy that started a Bible school in Kansas. And they had an uh, all-night prayer meeting. And that was where tongues broke out at his school in Kansas. William Seymour was in Houston. And Charles Parham comes down to Houston is, you know, is preaching about this. The tongues has broken out in America about 1900. And William Seymour hears him in Houston. William Seymour is a one-eyed black gentleman. And he goes to Los Angeles and founds the Azusa Street Mission. It's the Azusa Street Mission in approximately 1906 where tongues breaks out and, and, and people are speaking in tongues. And it just gets this tremendous fame largely because of the media that that existed in Los Angeles. But people from all over the world came to Azusa Street, and people from Azusa Street went all over the world. So it was this baptism of the Holy Spirit that Smith Wigglesworth hears about in London. Isn't that cool? Wigglesworth was converted largely through the Salvation Army that was a tremendous movement. And so another uh, biography is uh, William Booth, Uh, founder of the uh, Salvation Army, a very good person to consider there. Wigglesworth was a Salvation Army guy, but then kind of moved away from that as Salvation Army became more of a social movement. Wigglesworth was a guy that wrote Ever-Increasing Faith and raised several people from the dead and just a tremendous, tremendous miracle ministry in his life. Hudson Taylor is considered the founder of modern-day missions. Hudson Taylor founded the China Inland Mission, and Hudson Taylor was an Englishman who was called by God to go to China. And so what's neat about this guy is that when he's in his teens, he begins to hear God hear God's voice. And he begins to, you know, really start experimenting with this is God's talking to me. And he starts to learn how God answers prayer. And so he's working for a gentleman, a doctor, and he never asks for a salary. He just doesn't ask, he just just does his work, does his work, does his work and Finally, um, he needs to pay rent. So he ends up working really late that day, till like 10 p.m. that day. He hasn't been paid. He hasn't asked. And at that point, he finally prays. Lord, I'm kind of afraid to go home. My landlady's going to be standing there right at the door saying, you know, time to pay up. He hasn't asked his boss, the doctor that he works for, for his pay. And at that point, about 10 p.m. that night, so he stays and works late because he doesn't want to go home. And so he prays and he says, Lord, please move on his heart uh, to pay me. Well, at that moment, a wealthy man comes in and pays his doctor bill. And the doctor says, oh, yeah, I forgot to pay you. And here's, here's your wages. And he said, at that point, I realized that I can trust God and that he's faithful. It wasn't a single isolated event. There were several events like that that showed him how God is faithful, showed him how God takes care of his needs, and gave him the faith to go from England all the way to China, and found the China Inland Mission. By the time he left China, there were something like over two hundred and sixty churches planted in China, and, and just something like hundred thousand Christians in China. By the time he, I think he died, uh, or, or when he left, so just tremendous legacy that this man uh, left, and, and he's considered the founder of modern day missions. John Alexander Dowie. J.A. Dowie, is a Scotsman living in Australia. He's got some kind of political ambitions. He's also a minister and just a, an ambitious guy. And the bubonic plague strikes in Australia. And he's just bearing one after another after another of his congregants and just praying more and more fervently. I mean, it's just, just a terrible, terrible situation. And his heart just begins to cry out to God. And he's crying out to God And it just wells up inside him and he sees it. He sees healing in the scriptures. And he sees that that it's a work of the devil and that God has given us authority. It's an epiphany and the light goes on in his heart. And he goes running down the street. And there's a child, teenage girl dying of of bubonic plague. And he goes and he just commands the devil to leave her. And he commands her to be well. And just with all the faith that's in him and just his tremendous conviction. And she's totally healed. And then he prays for another member of the family, and they're completely healed. And from that point forward, he doesn't bury a single person in his church, and he begins to pray for them, and they're all getting healed. They're all getting healed. They're all getting healed. They're all getting healed. He comes to the United States eventually, lands in San Francisco, actually. And it says, Healer Comes to San Francisco, is the great, great title of the, of the headlines around the turn of the century. And he uh, takes up residence in a, a nice hotel, and people come from near and far. But mostly, it's sort of San Francisco socialites, you know, that parade in their finery, and they come in and, please heal me of my elbow dysfunction, and then <laughs> he's just like, next, and he doesn't pray for a one. Hundreds and hundreds of people, and he just interviews them, one of them he says, you got no faith. There's no faith, there's no faith here, there's no sense in me laying my hands on you. He's just exhausted with these people, and he just doesn't see any, any real faith in any of these people. They just, they just want to get their ailment dealt with. And they really don't want to give their heart to God. So finally, he's just about to go to lunch. And this one lady, he, he notices, talks to her for just a little while. And he's, she had come by train all the way to San Francisco from Sacramento. That's, that was a long journey in 1900. And she just had this tremendous faith. And says, you all pray for her. I can just see. And you've come all this way. She'd spent all that she had. She just had this simple faith. She was not a wealthy lady. But just in total simplicity... She'd spent everything she had to come to this man. That, that I'll pray for yeah. Prays for her, lays hands on her. She's instantly healed. One healing, he leaves San Francisco. He says, "That's it. I, this is, I, I can tell I'm not supposed to be here. But he, but he reached out to her and she, she gets healed. He ends up in Chicago. At about the time of the World's Fair, he starts this little mission outside the, at the gates of the World's Fair, completely unknown, completely unnoticed for about a full year and he preaches three or four or five meetings a, a week. Then all of a sudden the miracles start to come fast. Come all of a sudden the recognition comes, and boom, it just takes off. And his ministry just goes, it just gets huge. And at one point, and he, he's, Chicago politics were, were very, very corrupt. And so he keeps being accused of practicing medicine without a license and keep being, you know, being hauled into jail and, and all this kind of stuff. And they keep, they're really persecuting him. So one time he organizes this in, this great display and he invites the mayor and the leading doctors of the city to all sit on the stage. And then he says, and I will show you, what, you know, the power of divine healing. And so one after another, they just trot across people who have been healed and all their testimonies and all their testimonies and all their testimonies. And many people are known to the audience, are known to the city fathers. And one after another, they just keep coming across. Then... A man comes up who's got a terrific cancer growing on the side of his face, and it's growing into his mouth, and it's big and purple, and it's nasty. And he goes up, and in front of everybody, he says, in the name of Jesus, and he rips it off the guy's face, and baby skin grows back. The guy's right there in front of everybody. Oh, this is John Alexander Dowie. And so his ministry just explodes and he becomes extremely well-known and uh, very influential and he ends up founding a place called zion illinois which is a giant suburb of illinois of chicago now uh, just north of chicago and you you see it on any map it's a it's a big town well dowie founded this this town and he tries to make this christian town and what happens is that dowie overworks himself dowie takes on too much and with his great fame and and this uh, Uh, he had these sort of civic political ambitions. You know, he had run for office in Australia. He had been, uh, it didn't work out. And now he gets political again in Chicago and tries to found this city and do this and do that. And he just, he he was a workaholic to begin with. But the devil will take you in whatever direction you're already kind of halfway bent and push you that way. If you're wrestling with somebody, if they're coming towards you, you pull. If they're backing up, you push. You know, that's just how you work in, in wrestling. And the devil will do the same thing with you. If you're if you're bent a little bit, if you love the prosperity doctrine, you love prosperity, well, push your way over and, and, and make you go too far with it. If you kind of believe in the simplicity and the and just a, a simple, and you maybe embrace a, a Catholic poverty, well, he'll just, you know, well, you should just be more poor. Now you don't have any food, and if I feed you today, give that away. Yeah. And give that away. Well, John G. Lake's wife kind of practiced that sort of a, style of, of living, and she gave away the food that, was supposed to, that they were supposed to eat, and she dies when he was in um, South Africa. He has to leave. He's got five kids, and mom just dies of malnutrition largely because she would feed, she, there would be a line at her door of 10, 15 people almost every meal, and she would feed everybody, and so in, in neglecting herself. She ends up dying, and, and Lake has to come off the field. The reason why I bring up Lake is that Lake was a disciple of Dowie. Lake was a tremendous businessman in Chicago and a disciple of Dowie. And so Lake uh, ends up going to South Africa, founding 500 churches in South Africa before he comes back uh, after his wife's death, uh, remarries again and um, sets up shop in Seattle. And I met a lady at a nursing home in San Mateo who was in, in his church when she was a child he had, a church, he had a church in Seattle, but he also had a, a, another congregation in northern Oregon. And she was in his Oregon congregation as a child. She says she remembers praying at the altar for four hours on Friday and Saturday nights. She said the time just went by like nothing. Four hours of prayer at the altar. She said time just didn't went by like nothing. She was in her teens. And she said it was just marvelous. She said it was just a tremendous, tremendous life. And she grew up Pentecostal, but she marries a um, successful businessman either insurance or banking, and he wants to, uh, to be an upstanding member of the community and attend the right churches and, uh, and you know, be in the right circles and, and pulls her out, away from Pentecostalism. She marries this guy. This is a really interesting story. She's in a rest home. I say, you have family? Yeah. Well, they're all dead. My husband died. My four children have all predeceased me. I'm here by myself. She was a Pentecostal teenager who married a non Pentecostal husband? She remembers that she made, and, and now she tells the story that I made a mistake. My children are dead, my husband's dead. I'm going to rest on them all alone. You can wait, huh? You can wait. You, Mr. Wright is around the corner. We'll wait for Mr. Wright, Mrs. Wright. God's got it, and I'd rather, be, I'd rather be single rather than marry Mr. Wrong or Mrs. Wrong. Amen? Amen. Gordon Lindsay gets healed under Lake's ministry. You see the succession here? It's really interesting. Gordon Lindsay gets healed under under Lake's ministry, and um, his family also uh, lived, uh, were disciples of Dowie in Chicago. And so Gordon Lindsay is a writer and a very educated man, and he ends up founding a publication called The Voice of Healing. And this publication that Gordon Lindsay founds, The Voice of Healing, covers all of the evangelists in the 1950s healing revival. And so Oral Roberts and uh, Kenneth Hagan, A.A. Allen, several others. Catherine Kuhlman actually stayed outside that group. But Catherine Kuhlman was definitely part of that whole era, but slightly outside of that group. Gordon Lindsay was the publisher of this Voice of Healing and sort of was kind of uh, seen as the uh, leader of the movement at the time. And a fascinating guy. And he ends up found- founding a Bible school in, uh, outside of uh, Dallas called Christ for All Nations. And its graduates have done tremendous things, tremendous things in the earth. So that's Gordon Lindsay, fascinating guy. He's written several books. Uh, you, you'll probably run across them. E.W. Kenyon uh, wrote in the 1920s and 1930s. He's really the guy that, uh, that starts to see uh, our authority in Christ and starts to really see some t- tremendous revelations in scriptures. Kind of persecuted, not really well received in his day. His writings were the stuff that Kenneth Hagin really started feeding on and Kenneth Copeland really started feeding on. E.W. Kenyon's, even though he wasn't terrifically successful in his lifetime, his writings really become the foundation of the Word of Faith movement through the work of other, other men. When you're reading Kenyon, you're really reading the stuff that the first guys were reading. Uh, Kenyon's stuff is rich. It's, it's like you read a page and you've got to stop and chew on it for a while. There's no fluff whatsoever. It's just powerful. Of course, we know who Billy Graham is. Billy Graham was converted uh, by a Methodist circuit-riding minister in, uh, I believe it was North Carolina. And he writes in his diary, uh, lousy revival tonight. Only one youth gets, got saved. His name, William Graham, is in the diary of this Methodist circuit-rider. Lousy night tonight. Only one salvation. Lousy <laughs> night tonight. His name, William Graham. You never know. Yeah. You ever gotten one person saved? Yeah. What if his name was William Graham? Yeah. One person saved. That's all it takes. Mother Teresa. I want to recommend a video to you. If you ever can run across this at amazon.com or something like that, buy the video Mother Teresa. It's got her face on. It's got kind of blue background, white writing. Mother Teresa. Awesome video. You should, everybody should see it. Fascinating, fascinating video. It's you know it's her kind of in her heyday, sort of uh, in the 80s. Tremendous, tremendous video. You should see it. It's, it then the healing revival took place uh, from 1949 to the late 1950s, and uh, Oral Roberts was the biggest name uh, in the healing revival, and uh, Kenneth Copeland was his driver. Kenneth Copeland went to his school and was the driver for Oral Roberts for quite a while. Flew his plane for a while. Uh, Kenneth Copeland uh, also sang for Oral Roberts, how this kind of comes down. Catherine Kuhlman is called to preach. uh, She gets married, continues to preach, and her husband's sort of like, I don't get this, I don't get this, and... And she's going, no, I'm called to preach. I've got to keep preaching. And she keeps preaching. Her husband's like, you know, come on, stay home, stay home. She goes, no, i got to preach. Stay home, stay home. No, i got to preach. i got to preach. Stay home, stay home. i got to preach. And eventually they kind of went separate ways. Never really officially filed for a divorce. Finally officially filed for a divorce. She's now at the height of her ministry. And it was a small embarrassment to her. But anyways, she was just a tremendous salvation preacher. But she was praying and praying and praying and praying and praying and praying. And one time, while she's just preaching these salvation messages, people began to get healed just as she was praying, just by the power of the presence of the Holy Spirit in her meeting. And that was how many of the people were healed in her meetings, was without the laying on of hands. It was just from a tremendous anointing of the Holy Spirit. And so it, it influenced her doctrine quite a bit too, and so she kind of you know built her doctrines on that. Largely her doctrine is just right on and wonderful stuff, but she, she really just kind of places the emphasis on the anointing and on the, on the power of the Holy Spirit. It's important for us to understand that because don't underestimate praise and worship. Don't underestimate just that time of waiting on the Lord where just the musician just keeps playing and, and nobody does anything. And we just stay in the presence of God. Nobody speaking, nobody calling attention to themselves, but everybody keeping their focus on God. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said... Remember that? Separate unto me, Saul and Barnabas, for the work where until I have called them. As you minister to the Lord and, in, in these kinds of meetings, things happen. And that was Catherine Kuhlman's whole uh, program. Shirley Hagan has been to Catherine Kuhlman meetings. Shirley brought Terry to Catherine Kuhlman meetings when he was a youth. Uh, Catherine Kuhlman was really one of the only ones to kind of... S- Go past the healing revival really went from 1949 to about 1957, and the anointing kind of fell off of Oral Roberts, even though he kind of continued, and and there there were some miracles of his in the 60s and 70s and things like that. But Kenneth Hagin still had some miracles in the 60s and 70s. But it's interesting when Kenneth Hagin talks about his miracles, most of them are from 49 to 57, and in the you know, 40s and 50s. When Oral Roberts talks about some of his greatest miracles, 40s and 50s. When Catherine kuhlman talks about her miracles. They go into the 60s and the 70s, and it's really quite interesting. Catherine Kuhlman's anointing continues, whereas many of them kind of go back to salvation, stop praying for the sick as often. They just don't see the results as much. Can't explain it, but Kuhlman's anointing continues. She eventually dies in the 70s of an enlarged heart from overwork, working too much, too much of a, a, of a pace up. There's a tremendous uh, you know pressure on, on these people, and great demands and great needs and, and you've got to take care of yourself. Uh, Benny Hinn is a disciple of Catherine Kuhlman. Benny Hinn was in Catherine Kuhlman's meetings. Benny Hinn's approach to ministry is very similar to Catherine Kuhlman's. And so that's why Benny Hinn places a great emphasis on, um, on praise and worship. If you'll be a student of, of his meetings, you'll see that he takes a long time with praise and worship and he sings simple songs, simple choruses, that everybody can sing along and then they repeat them and they repeat them and they repeat sing it again choir come on you sing it again choir come on jim do it again but again 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 i mean it's it's right because there's an anointing on it and he finds the anointing and he stays there and then it's 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 a Catherine kuhlman model and it's and it's following the holy spirit I know one uh, Spanish guitar player who, can, who will sing songs and when he finds where the Holy Spirit is, he'll stay right on that one song. Okay. He knows exactly where the Spirit of God is and he'll stay right there. Wait, no, no, we're going to stay right there. Never just sing down the song list. Never, never just preach your notes. Your notes are awesome. Stay with your notes. You know, but when you find where the Holy Spirit is, you know, stay on that point. And if you're in a church service... You're, you're, there, you're following the Holy Spirit's direction, and you, sh- and you should do that. Notes are really good, and you should set a, have a set of notes. People should be able to track with you all the way through your message. And you know what it's like to listen to somebody who goes up there with no notes or who won't follow notes. It's very difficult to follow. But if you'll have notes, you should go up to the pulpit with notes, but also be led by the Holy Spirit. Full Gospel Businessman, important movement, really gave a b- great boost to Oral Roberts and gave a great boost to uh, Kenneth Hagan A.A. Allen was an extremely poor young man. He was raised in just total poverty. His family were terrific alcoholics, and uh, they were just known as just the you know, the worst family on the block, or actually the worst family in the woods. His parents were alcoholics. He was given drink at an early age. He was an alcoholic at an early age. He was the, just the worst kid in town. There was a little church down the down the road that was just kind of People lived in fear of this family, but they prayed for him. They prayed for him. They prayed for him. One day, he's walking past the church and walks in and gets saved. From there, he becomes a pastor. He and his wife, they pastor in Texas, but then they go to an Oral Roberts meeting, and they just see, no, this is what we're called to. We're called to go into, this, into, this, into the healing movement. They do. They become very, very successful with it. R.W. Schambach is A.A. Allen's associate minister, and Schambach eventually goes out on his own, Shambach is, is, is alive and kicking today and just doing a great job. You should read Shambach's two books, Miracles 1 and Miracles 2. Fantastic, fantastic stories. Shambach's amazing. Shambach can tell a story like nobody else can. T.L. Osborne, T.L. And, and his wife go to uh, India as missionaries. They go to India as missionaries, just the same way as Wesley first came to the United States as a missionary. When he first came to the United States, he, he really got nothing done his first trip. But later he goes back and somehow he you know he just he goes before the lord and just you know pours out his heart to the lord on another voyage. Wesley uh meets the Moravians. He's he's just changed. He just he just becomes changed. I you know it's hard to, to describe it because he doesn't say he was filled with the holy spirit. He was you know his heart he says was strangely warmed. For an Englishman that's a big stuff. And so anyways but but after that Wesley just takes off. He becomes tremendously successful. Um, Osborne uh, comes back to the United States and attends a Oral Roberts meeting or a, no, William Branham meeting, um, another important name in the healing revival. Osborne attends a William Branham meeting. I think they just see the tremendous healings that take place in this William Branham meeting, tremendous healings, and they pray for that anointing, and they, they get a hold of that kind of confidence in miracles, and they say, if I can take that back to India, we'll see great crowds. And so they pray for that anointing. They get filled with the Holy Spirit. They go back to India. They, say, they advertise. They advertise miracles. They say miracles are going to happen, and they pray for miracles. And the crowds just explode. Millions of people come to their meetings. Thousands are getting healed. Thousands are getting healed. Hundreds of thousands get saved. T.L. Osborne only preached outside the United States for most of his ministry, and to tremendous crowds tremendous crowds, and he said I want to only take the gospel where it hasn't been preached before because when I go to those places that's where the miracles will be and in simple faith people just you know hear it receive it believe it and Osborne just sees incredible miracles we'll talk about a little bit about the 60s and 70s charismatic renewal Calvary Chapel really was born out of the 70s Jesus people in California they kind of start Maranatha music vineyard churches start out of Calvary Chapel ministries because the vine- because uh, John Wimber and, and some of his guys would still drink wine. And Chuck Smith said, oh, so you know, you guys are going to, you wine drinkers are going to go have a vineyard? And uh, the name stuck. <laughs> and, so, and so John Wimber and the, and the vineyard. What happens is that, is that Wimber's style of charismatic Christianity crossed all kinds of boundaries. He'd get up there in a Hawaiian shirt and his, and his beard and a former member of the average white band and stuff like that and a bass player and and he would he'd just get up there and he was just casual he was just he was cool and so he just crossed all kinds of boundaries people would just relate to him from all all sorts of denominations and he had a tremendous healing gift and so when they would see that and, and just they really embraced his style of Christianity and his style of music really influence christianity to a, to a great extent hill songs listens to a lot of maranatha and vineyard music and now hill songs is, is having a tremendous influence on christianity today the word of faith is a strong movement pastor cho in the megachurches i was just listening to uh, tommy what's tommy's last name of tommy tenny of who's the guy of uh, phoenix first assembly Uh, Phoenix First Assembly's giant church in in Phoenix. uh, Friends of, personal friends of Pastor Cho. He said that Pastor Cho cried out to God with fasting and praying for months and months and months. Give me the biggest church in the world, Lord. These things don't just happen because you're a special person. Every one of these people asked for what they got and asked and kept on asking and kept on asking. And kept on asking, what's the call of God on your life? Are you willing to just pray and pray and pray and pray and pray to God for, for the anointing and music? Make a difference. Make a difference. I mean, you can just kind of go there and and do something on your own. Cho went there and just kind of started a church on his own and in his own strength and by his own power and got a couple hundred people. But it nearly killed him because he was doing it all on his own and all on his own strength and he was in bed ill for several years it was in that phase that he prayed and he prayed and he prayed and he prayed and he prayed for another chance and he prayed for another chance and lord if you'll raise me up i will build the biggest church you know through your power in your power in your way i'll follow you the lord raised him up and he did it god's way and he did it with the power of the holy spirit founded the biggest church in the world you'll do it god's way you'll do it god's way church history is full of people doing it god's way god's things god's way and so as you read these biographies and get to know some of these people you'll see things that just work for you you're going to do it god's way and god's going to speak to you about how how he's going to work through you amen class dismissed